Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, let me tell you what it is. It's a comprehensive self-regulation program that combines social-emotional learning with discipline, creating a healthy school or home climate based on love instead of fear. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are real people who have a life both inside and outside the classroom. Real teachers can often come home too tired to deal with their own families, wonder if they're making a difference, work more hours than anyone would ever realize, and often feel powerless in the face of their own administration and current policies. Yet, they get up day after day, ready to give their heart and soul to others. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. Today, we're talking about owning and running your own school using conscious discipline. Many teachers see the needs of children and families and then contrast it with with what's out there and say, oh, man, I need to start my own school or at best, somebody needs to start a school. I remember when my first grandchild was going to preschool up in Northern Virginia and I went with the mother to look at schools, I really had to take a lot of deep breaths as I walked through these preschools. And here's the highlights of basically what I found. Well, one, there was a complete lack of understanding of child development, a total commitment to structured academics and rote learning. Two, unreasonably high expectations of three- and four-year-olds to sit for long periods of time learning irrelevant, irrelevant information coupled with a demand for total obedience to do just that. Three, a total disregard for social-emotional development and a comprehensive removal of all play. And four, the one that surprised me the most, a waiting list to get in. So I left bewildered, as many teachers are, and thought about my own grandchildren, the future of all children, and and shocked that our lack of knowledge about child development, early childhood education. And I thought, how can a, a nation as rich as we are be so blind to the stress we're putting on our young children? And better yet, how could we have a waiting list thinking this is what we all want? So after I calmed down and I realized we must be a voice, our voice as educators, it's our job to educate everyone on what's appropriate for children. And our voice has to somehow be louder than the marketing voice that values making money over raising children. And then I thought to myself, how on earth did we get so off course? Well, I want to give you a little history lesson here so that we all are on the same page. In 1980, the federal government deregulated television for children, making younger and younger children a market worth billions. Now, some of you might not even been alive in 1980, but I was right there watching this. We had 60,000 pages of expert witness and 6,000 pages of oral testimony by experts in health, psychology, education, and nutrition. All was ignored. 
the candy, the toy, the sugar, the broadcasting companies raised $16 million to deregulate television. And at that moment, every cartoon became a commercial. Every toy became a market. And parents began being sold a bill of goods that was not on behalf of themselves or their children. Then came the 1990s. This was the decade of the brain in which the brain research came out. And we heard all this, oh, the young years, they're the most critical years. A child's brain in the early years undergoes amazing period of development, producing more than a million connections per second. So then we thought, huh, the marketing people. So let's push down academics. Let's make these educational toys. Let's make an app for babies. We found out that children in the womb can hear by the end of their third trimesters. So marketing goes, oh, well, let's make headsets for the tummy. The human brain develops more rapidly between birth and age five than during any other time in your life. Great. Let's send them to art class, Spanish class, violin class, soccer, and karate. And if you have any free time, let's think of another class because if we get it in there early, we're going to go to MIT and we're going to be the brightest and go to Harvard and everybody is going to be brilliant, especially my child. So basically the study came out that said stimulation is key to brain development. And that's what started a marketing buzz throughout our nation. But no one took time to read the actual research. It said stimulation by an adult. It was talking about relationships. It was talking about the interactions we have with each other. It wasn't talking about literacy and how many books you could read. It was saying learning starts in the lap. The lap of the person who read the book has the value, not the book itself. So that's how we got off kilter. Now, I'd like to introduce you to Mindy Becker, who I invited today, who said, well, I think we need to open a school and base it on conscious discipline and what we know about what the needs of children and families are. And Mindy said, well, I guess that will be me. So Mindy has been working with children and families for 20 years. She's worked with typically developing children, medically fragile children, and children with special needs in a variety of school settings. But her heart is dual in nature. She loves helping parents, and she loves helping uh, teachers. So she said, it will be me. And she opened and is the founder of her own school, Grow With Us Academy, in Miami, Florida, which has fully implemented conscious discipline from its inception. And Mindy also is a master conscious discipline instructor. So welcome, Mindy, to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be talking with you right now about this topic that I feel very passionate about. Indeed, passionate enough to start your own school. And that took a lot of guts, let me just tell you. Yes, a lot of guts and sweat. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, tell us, Mindy, what were the steps that led you to this moment where you said, I've, I've got to start my own school? So basically, um, I started off as a teacher working in a variety of school settings, and I had some amazing 
mentors and people that I could learn from and um, get a better understanding of child development through watching others, not necessarily from, you know, reading the books. And then when I found conscious discipline, it definitely was the missing piece for me with working with children. And I pretty much knew after about 10 years of my journey teaching that eventually one day I would open a school because I felt that what was out there was just <laughs> unacceptable, to be honest. Um, I was blessed enough to work for Day County Public Schools for the um, special ed program. And that program was very different than any other classrooms I had been in and still go into. Um, so I have the honor of going into many different classrooms and different schools and training teachers or supporting a child. And what I was seeing was, I, I, I just, I really couldn't believe what I was seeing. And um, as I was teaching for Dade County, I um, was grateful to have my own classroom, but even the classrooms around me, it was a little terrifying to hear what was going on in some of the other classrooms that I could hear. Like, like what? Like what, Mindy? Give oh, me an example. So the regular ed classroom that I was right next to and I could hear the teacher because she was very loud and, and screamed often um, that if they don't, if the children don't stop talking, they're not going to be able to watch. I think it was called Dragon Tales. Not I think. I know definitely because I remember the song that they weren't yeah. going to be able to watch Dragon Tales. And I was shocked because I thought they're in school and only for such a short amount of time. Why are they watching TV while they're here? Isn't it more appropriate if they're playing and exploring and interacting with others? Um, so that was the first thing. And then in a, I was kind of in the middle of a pod. So I was surrounded by many classrooms. And in another classroom that happened to be a self-contained autistic classroom, I heard very scary things. Like if, you know, if you don't shut up now, um, we're going to have to tape your mouth. And, and to the point where I almost left the school system because I couldn't believe that that was really happening. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so what you saw was not using the educational environment for learning as best you could, like watching television, but you also heard a lot of threats and oh. yelling and belittling of children. Yes, a lot of fear, a lot of threatening. And at this time, I ha was on the beginning of my journey of conscious discipline. And I so I knew some things and I thought, well, this cannot help a child be able to learn at their highest potential. And isn't that what we're all here for, to teach children? And I knew because I didn't feel safe when I was hearing the things that the teachers were saying or how they were saying them, the lack of interaction they would have with them or even getting down on their level to connect with a child. I just thought that was basic 101 teaching. Everybody knows that. Um, but I soon realized that everybody doesn't. And what I thought was common sense and teaching wasn't so common. And so I began to realize how much change needed to occur in our schools and with our families, because the parents had no clue that this wasn't okay. I, I don't think a lot of parents realize that. Yeah, and, and, thus, and thus the waiting list I was talking about. It, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And um, so I decided to focus on the things that I was doing and focus on strengthening my skills and being the best that I could be for my students instead of listening and, and allowing what was happening to continue to really affect my day and my teaching and began to realize even more so how much parents need support. So um, one time I was asked by a parent who had three children, one 
uh, being on the spectrum. One was an infant who she was still nursing and one was like a first or second grader, if I'm not mistaken. And she had asked, how do I do this? (laughs) I have my child on the spectrum who is difficult to manage and sometimes bangs his head on the floor. I have my baby that has needs and and I've got to feed the baby and take care of the baby. And then I have my second grader who needs to have homework done. And so I don't know where it came from, but this brilliance came out of me and I was able to give her some strategies. And I was kind of shocked when it came out of me. And then she came back and she said, well, you know, it was really effective what you had told me to do and that helped. But then this happened, you know, what can I do for this? And another brilliant moment came out. And it was that moment that I realized I had a gift that I wasn't aware of to come up with strategies and solutions and ways to manage children in the home, even though I didn't have a child yet, um, because I kept offering this to parents that would come and ask me. And then I also realized after school on Friday, I would reflect and go, wow, you know, that was a pretty effective day and everybody was, you know, more regulated and managed and we had a lot of successful moments. And then on Monday, I feel like I would start back at square one again. So now did this lead you to want to work more with parents at that point and to your mommy and me classes or where did that take you? Yes, that definitely took me to um, wanting to help parents so that it would in turn help teachers And obviously the whole reason why I started any of this was for children. So from that point, I ended up teaching a little bit longer and then had my own child and started helping parents going into their homes, um, doing some parent training and workshops and was hired to go into more schools for a particular child's behavior and was absolutely appalled to see what was going on as far as in a two-year-old classroom, a teacher using sarcasm, a teacher, you know, showing obvious favoritisms and only paying attention to a handful of children that were obviously the ones that were engaged, you know, so it would make sense that a teacher would want that. But of course, for me, I want to connect with the children who are having more of a difficult time and realizing they're probably having this difficult time because they're not in a relationship with the teacher and they can see that the teacher's not really into them. So, it, it kind of came at so many different ends that, that I just knew I wanted to make a difference in what our early childhood education looked like and that it could be more developmentally appropriate and that we could integrate educating parents more. So I first started with a training center, a parent training center, and I started parent-child classes because after going into people's homes, they would say, can you come with me on a play date and help? Now, were you using conscious discipline as the basis of all this or were you? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't know how anybody teaches children or raises children or actually interacts with other human beings without the skills of conscious discipline. It, it I really, I, I think about it when I talk to parents who don't know about conscious discipline and everything they say makes so much sense of how difficult it is and how disconnected they feel and how stressed they are. And it makes sense because they don't have real tools to help them like conscious discipline offers. So, um, so yes, the parent training center was the foundation was all about conscious discipline and teaching parents about connecting with their children Um, being a voice for their child when their children do go to school. And from that, because I started with baby classes, really teaching parents 
the importance of connecting with their child. And, and you brought that. them in together, didn't you? You had mommies and me. So the yeah. parents came in with the babies. Mm-hmm. And so you had uh, a series, what, six, about five, six couples of mm-hmm. couples, I call them parents and yeah. their babies. We call yes. them a couple. And what it, did you do in that class? I mean, what, how did you structure that class? I mean, what were you doing with a parent and a baby for how long were you in there? So the parent-child classes started at 45 minutes. Now my new my newbie class, so the ones that are the birth to six-month classes, are an hour and 15 minutes because I realized um, through through doing it that, you know, there was a lot of nursing taking place or feeding taking place or sleeping taking place or crying babies. So um, dealing with those natural uh, issues we're taking away from some of the class and also adding to the class, but I realized we needed it to be a little bit longer. So I started with the parents. It was moms and dads would come with their little babies. And a lot of these parents were first time parents, which was really exciting for me because I was able to give them a foundation of you are your baby's best toy. <laughs> so that was indeed, really like the indeed. focus. Yes. Yeah. So um, I taught them how to calm themselves how important it was for them to bring the calmest of themselves to their baby, whether their baby was upset or happy. I taught them a little bit about child development and that the baby, when the baby cries, they're communicating a need and to stay calm and go to your baby that you cannot spoil an infant. I taught them how to breathe. I taught them how to connect with their child through little games and I love you rituals that so you now created. You I, yeah, let's go about that. So you mentioned these I love you rituals. Mm-hmm. And so what would you what is an I love you ritual? How did you integrate that in? So you'd use this with six months old, two year olds. I mean, all the way up. I know you have a daughter and you still do them with her. So yes. what, what are the I love you rituals? So an I love you ritual for me, what what it did for me and my daughter, because that's really, you know, how I started um, dealing with infants and and conscious discipline or, or I love you rituals specifically, I realized the connection that it brought for my daughter and I, and I wanted other parents to realize the connection that it could bring for them. And through it, I realized my child was more integrate. Her, her brain was becoming integrated. She had more impulse control. She was able to attend and, and focus longer. I mean, it just, I, I I believe it was strictly because of I love you rituals because I did a little experiment and I um, not on purpose but I I guess there was probably three days where I hadn't really done I love you rituals we usually would do goodnight rituals and and I I didn't do any of those and all of a sudden I was like what is going on with my daughter her behaviors and she was about two at this time. And I thought, this is so not like her. And I thought, oh, maybe this is that thing. Everybody says terrible twos. And I said, no, I'm not going to believe that. Something's going on. And I think I it's about me and I could make a change or do something different. It's not really about her. It's what can I do differently? And all of a sudden I reflected and said, oh my gosh, I haven't done an I love you ritual with her in three days. And I thought, no, there's no way that this could be really affecting her behavior. And I swear it did because then I just overloaded her with I love you rituals. I made sure I did at least three a day. And within 24 hours, she was back to the way she was before, meaning more willing. She was more attentive. She had more impulse control, just 
all around happier. So the I love you rituals are just fun little games that you play. It's really, you had taken all these, you know, old nursery rhymes that had messages that were extremely, I feel hurtful and scary into more loving, peaceful messages that were fun, both for the parent and the child. And so in my parent-child classes and with my students in my school today. Every parent does an I love you ritual with their child before they drop them off. I was teaching the parents of the new babies how to do I love you rituals and to really have that connection and eye contact and be playful and be really present with their child or their baby um, to be able to help wire their child's brain really. Okay, well, well teach so us one. What was one of your fa- your your daughter's favorite? Teach us one. So round and round the garden is one of my, was one of my daughter's favorites, seems to be one of many babies' favorites and toddlers and preschool age. So that's the one I'm going to share because it seems to kind of cross the whole age range there for early childhood. Um, I do different ones now with my child who's 11, but so um, it goes... So first, I either, depending on the age of the baby, like if you're changing a baby's diaper before you change your baby's diaper or toddler's diaper, um, right on their little belly, I get a little close to them and I take a deep breath and on their belly with one finger, I say, round and round the garden goes the teddy bear. And then I take my fingers and I say, one step, two step tickle under there. And so I climb up their body and I tickle under their neck or under their arm or under their foot, but it's a quick tickle. It's an in and out. Um, and usually they giggle and they want more. And my daughter would sign for more when she was an infant and the children that I was and the families that I was teaching in my newbie classes, you could see the baby, even at three months old, you could just see that it would like light up their whole being. And you could see they wanted it again. And so we would do it again. And of course, because the parents felt that energy from their child and saw the response from their child, they continued to do it. And as the child would get older, you could do it on the child's hand. You could do it on the child's foot. I've seen it with my my number one granddaughter Mm -hmm. when she had uh, her baby sister. That was one of the first things she did Mm -hmm. when the baby was just brought home from the hospital. She took her finger and put it on the outside of her little baby blanket. She was all wrapped up and went round and round the garden Mm. goes the teddy bear. So they do share it with each other. And you know, like you said earlier, that a lot of this is what we would call common sense, these social games, whether we, you know, starting with peekaboo all the way to round and round a garden or Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a friend he loved to, you know, all those. Mm -hmm. They seem like common sense until we got a cell phone. And then it almost is like the children spend more time on the iPad or the cell phone than they do face-to-face with their parents. Have you noticed that? A ton, unfortunately. Although in my parent training center and now in my academy, actually one of the school family safety guidelines is... um, You keep your cell phone in your pocket or your purse when you are picking up your child or dropping off your child. There is no electronic use in our school. Um, And, you know, you get some slack from that because especially in Dade County, there's a very seems to be a very high desire for strong academics and four-year-olds reading. And although I don't believe in that, I believe in strong academics through play. 
you know, it's not developmentally appropriate for four-year-olds to read. But so with that, there's, you know, well, where's the technology? And this is such a technological world. You know, you've got to be putting this in there. And my response is, yes, I, I understand that. And I get that. And, and they will get it eventually. But right now, the most important thing is for them to develop relationships and learn how to get along with others and learn how to regulate and connect with people, um, get their wants and needs met appropriately. So, um, so we don't have any technology in our school, actually. Um, we just have amazing each, families. Each others. Yes, you yeah. do. <laughs> so now tell me about it, your drop-off procedure. Now, do, uh, first of all, I understand you have certain requirements. I mean, so if, a, if yes. they're coming to your academy, the parents are also saying, I'm willing to learn about conscious discipline. Is yes. that true? It is. It is true. Um, so basically, we do parent tours and then we do parent child tours for an interested family. And once we decide after an interview with the families that this is the right family for our school and we are the right school for their family, then, um, you know, they sign an agreement saying that they are also open to being coached by teachers and, and me and, um, and learn conscious discipline through me and cut by on their own time coming to parent workshops because we believe that although we know what we're doing is so powerful and has such an impact, we also want to educate the parents so that they can have the same knowledge and have similar skills and be able to support what we're doing in the school because Mm -hmm. conscious discipline is really a language. So to be able to learn some of the language and the skills, it, it, takes training and it takes time and just them being in our classrooms during drop-off you're asking about the drop-off routine um they get to be in the classrooms and hear the teachers and hear the children and hear how we talk to them so they they do pick it up but um we have steps on every classroom door they're in pictures so that the child it's easier for the children and the parents with the words of exactly what the expectation is and a parent that says to me well i have to get to work i i can't get out of the car and bring my child into school is typically not a parent that comes to grow with us. So we understand. So, well, let me see yeah. if I understand mm-hmm. this. So, you know, most schools, like, you're good if you they meet you at the car and at least mm-hmm. say hello and help your child out of the car seat. So you're mm-hmm. saying that the parents need to stop, mm-hmm. get out of the car and bring their child in. Yes. Okay. And so they come in and what's the first thing? So you have a whole routine. So walk me through. I'm getting out of the car with my child. I, mm-hmm. I come out, I get up the steps. What happens next? I open the door to uh, your academy and yes. grow with us. What happens? Mm-hmm. And they come in and they are told to, before they even get out of the car, to offer their child a choice. Um, they tell they tell their child, we're going to hold hands. You have a choice. You can hold my left hand or my right hand. So it starts at the car with them empowering children to um, feel in control while the parent is setting limits and ultimately for safety because walking in, there's a parking lot, there's other cars, and we want to keep the children safe physically yeah. and yeah. emotionally. So they walk into the classroom and the first step is for the child to put their lunchbox and water bottle in their cubby. And there's a picture of that. And their cubbies are labeled with their picture and their name. So there's very strong academics, but it's appropriate. So there's visuals everywhere for children to be able to be as successful as possible. The next step is for them to get their kiss cup filled. And a kiss cup has, it's just a plastic container. I mean, really you could use anything. Um, And it's a container that has a lid 
that the child can open and close. And on the cup, it has a picture of the child and the child's name. And inside the cup, it has a picture of their family um, so that when they open it up, they can see their, their family in the cup. And the parent is instructed to put at least five kisses in the cup. And again, is told to offer the child two choices. You know, um, would you like it's time to put kisses in your cup. You have a choice. Would you prefer five kisses or 10 kisses? And with the older children, we might offer, you know, 100 or 500 and say that we're going to count by fives or count by 10. So again, it becomes very academic, but the whole, not the whole purpose, there's that purpose as well. But the bigger picture of it is for the child and the parent to have time to connect so that the transition in is smoother for both yeah beautiful. and when the child has these kisses really the parent just puts kisses in the cup just air kisses blows kisses in that cup the intention is for the child to cover up that cup so that throughout the day if they are remembering mommy or daddy or grandma or grandpa or they get hurt or something happens and they're needing some love from their family they can come over to their kiss cup at any time and get kisses and it is really an incredible thing to see because at the beginning of the year or a new child transitioning in, you'll see them wanting to cl- wanting to climb into their cup at times, yeah, but I the cup imagine. is small. Yeah. Yes. I'm diving in. Heads yes. Up. Um, and after the first couple weeks, they don't even, I mean, it, it's just, it's not a necessity unless someone were to get hurt or someone's having a hard time, um, then we, we could use it as a strategy, but we have so many other structures in our classroom that, um, sometimes they don't, they, they already regulate before they need to, to right. go get that, but it's there for them in case. And so it's that safety for them and for the parent to oh, know that my love is in this cup for you all day, no matter what. I mean, it's one of the I think one of our our strongest drop-off rituals, because every parent that sees it, it's like, oh, that's so sweet. We don't have that at our school. My my teachers tell me, uh, you know, because we have children coming from other schools and say, oh, just leave. It's fine if she's crying. She'll be better once you go. Yep. Okay, and, so after the kiss cup now, so is that the end or is there no, more? So what, what happens next? So they fill up the kiss cup and then on the wall they have two different I love you rituals that are printed and posted on the wall. And we change that. We change one out every month, um, every three weeks to a month. So one stays the same and one changes. So there's still that predictability for the parent or child who's still getting used to it. What do you got this week? What's up on the wall this week? So in every classroom, it's a little bit different. But in one of the classrooms, we do have row, row, row your boat. And here's the bunny. Yeah, Um, I love here's the bunny. Me too. And it's so fun. And then in another classroom, they have um, on your face, I love your ritual and twinkle, twinkle, little star. So the parents, um, the child picks so the tr- one of those mm-hmm. two and the parent and the child do those together right then. Yes, they do. And then after that, they do a safekeeper ritual and it just says, the parent says it to the child, it's my job to keep you safe and it's your job to help keep it safe. And then they take their arms and they cross them and they say, oh baby, oh baby, it's going to be a great day. And um, we do that same safekeeper ritual as a class family once the parents have left during our Brain Smart Start. So, um, so they do that activity. And then the last activity is to go to a teacher and be greeted. 
by the teacher. So that's a time for the teacher to come. I mean, typically the teacher greets them when they first walk in as well, but to offer a choice of a fun greeting to the parent and then to the child. So um, in some of the classrooms, they're greeting with um, ones that the children have made up. Like in my kindergarten classroom, the children have made up their own greetings. One was a ballerina twirl. (laughs) And yeah, um, and some of the other classrooms use little um, like wooden symbols that are colorful and bright. And one is a picture of a fish and one is a picture of a smile. And so that would be, would you like to be greeted with a fish kiss or with a smile? So we have our greeting set up. So one is a connecting greeting. So they're actually touching the child in a playful way. And one is where you could just do a thumbs up or a smile or a wave. Um, so they're- To enter the school. So you have a whole process mm-hmm. of from the car to transition for the both the parent to say, now I'm going to be a worker or a homemaker, or I'm going to leave you in this mm-hmm. care. And then the teacher also, uh, for the child, it's a transition from being one's child, son or daughter, to being uh, mm-hmm. a student almost. But that yes. pr- that transition is really scaffold and made full of love and connection as opposed to hop out of the car, I'm going to be late to work. That's a beautiful thing. So Mindy, I'm guessing in your school that you receive kids who possibly have have been kicked out of other schools, uh, have not been successful. And so you do deal with children with difficult uh, temperaments, difficult, challenging behaviors. Do you have a story of a success where you had a child come in who wasn't functioning in other schools and actually became successful in yours? Yes, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, other schools do not have the tools to be able to handle some of these behaviors, and so children have been asked to leave. One in particular, a little girl named Julia, was two years old, and she was in two other classrooms or two other schools and was asked to leave both of them because she was biting. And you can imagine the other families of the children who are being bit up, you know, in an uproar, not understanding the teachers, not knowing what to do, not having the skills to handle it. And so the mom found us and it was when I first started. So I only had about six children and it was me and another teacher. (laughs) And, um, you know, the other children had come because they had started in my parent-child classes. So these children had been with me and been raised pretty consciously. And so now we have this child coming with, we know she's a biter. She doesn't speak English. I don't speak Portuguese. And she comes and I have to say, she never bit one time. And I feel it is because we gave so much predictability for her. We provided her with the safety she needed. We taught her skills, how to get her wants and needs met. And we use lots of visuals to help her feel safe and successful. And I, I, it was, I mean, I, I'm still blown away by it, but never bit while she was with us. And she stayed with us for about two years and then they moved and I would check in with the family and she has been very successful in her academic career thus far. So wonderful. And just to remind all the listeners, stressed toddlers bite. And what Mindy was successful at doing was removing all the stressors. And once the stress was reduced and the skills were taught, the need to bite dissipated. Mindy, your school again, so that everybody knows, is called, tell us its name. Grow With Us Academy. 
and it's in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have a website, I'm assuming. We do. It's growwithusacademy.com. <laughs> so anybody who'd like to m- know more could actually go to your website. And of course, you can always go to Conscious Discipline website, consciousdiscipline.com to learn more about Conscious Discipline. But go to growwithusacademy.com mm-hmm. and see more of what happens at Mindy and her school. So we're going to wind up here today. Mm-hmm. And what you've heard from Mindy is one person's desire to make the best environment for children and families and for teachers. Because I've heard her teachers say that they hadn't previously enjoyed their work as much as they had until they came to your school. Is that correct? It is. Yes. So the relationships between the teachers themselves, the relationship between the teachers and the families, the relationship between the children and the children are all growing exponentially as their academics are embedded in every aspect of their life. So what does this say for us? Often people don't understand that early childhood teaching is one of the most stressful jobs on the planet. And I hear what you're saying, and I think what people are hearing, is we must learn to self-regulate ourselves and model healthy, kind, respectful relationships with, with others. And we are the best toys for our children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Young children develop in the context of relationships. Our brain is social. And from the beginning when I started and we came out with that great uh, research about stimulation and early childhood is so vital. We left out that one thing that you've put back into education. And that stimulation comes from our relationship. Brain development happens in the context of relationships, and when you're young, zero to four, that context is the main component of all growth. The healthier our relationships with ourselves and with each other are, the smarter, wiser, and richer our children will be. So let's come up with some things you want to leave, Mindy, these people with. What could be, if I'm a parent, if I'm a teacher, if I... Um, if I own my own school, what would be my, oh, bless you. What would be our next steps? What is, give me three concrete next steps I could do tomorrow. Now, I certainly am going to be all over the kiss cups, Mm -hmm. but give me three things, my next steps for tomorrow. You're talking to everybody out here who's listening. So what would your advice be? Three next steps that they could actually implement tomorrow. In their classroom or in their home? Either way. Either way you want to phrase it. Okay. So I would say um, (laughs) the first thing would be to put their phones down (laughs) and really connect with their child. Play a game with their child, um, whether in the classroom or at home. Get on the child's level and be present and play something with the child. Draw a picture with the child. Perfect. Number one, put your phones down and turn face to face with your child. Look at them in the eyes. Play a fun game and giggle and laugh. Okay, what's number two? Yes. Number two would be to become aware of themselves and how how they're feeling <laughs> before they interact with, I guess that would be number one, before they interact with a child. So as a teacher or a parent, it's critical that we are 
taking care of ourselves first, disciplining ourselves first so that we can bring the best of ourselves to the child. Okay. So second, put your oxygen mask on first when that mm-hmm. stuff falls in the airplane. And that means to be very aware. If you're anxious, your child will be anxious. One thing we do know that my state as an adult dictates the states of young children. So like Mindy just said, Make sure that you're aware of how you're feeling inside. Take a deep breath. And everyone do that with me right now. Calm your insides down and interact with the child. Okay, one more, Mindy. What you got for us? I would say the third thing, if I could only give you one more, it would be to remember what you focus on, you get more of. So to focus on the behaviors you do want in the students in your classroom Um, We tend to give a lot of attention to the behaviors we don't want, and we just get more of them instead of acknowledging and noticing the children who are following directions or being appropriate and and also in our home. So to really focus on what you do want and know that what you focus on, you do get more of. Exactly. And I've been in your classroom. I've been at your school, Mindy. It was a, a complete delight. I hope many people can... I will look you up and come down and see you in Miami, and I hope that that model of what you've done spreads throughout the whole country. So thank you so much for being with us and for everyone listening. Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.